God returns to rebuild and restore. My message today from Zechariah, um, my plan for today is, is look at uh, portions of the first three chapters in Zechariah, <clears throat> um, from which I drew this uh, idea or this message, God returns to rebuild and restore. Now, it's really rooted in, in the history of the Jewish people. <clears throat> Um, so we're going to take uh, a chunk of time here to take a look at some history of, of the nation of Israel uh, from the point of David and Solomon, the decline, God's warnings and prophets, uh, the uh, Babylonian captivity, and then the return. So we're going to take a look at that. And then individually at these, uh, this idea that God returns to rebuild and restore. So that's our game plan here. Now, I'm hoping that uh, you all have Bibles and can scoot with me uh, to various verses in the first three chapters. So it'll take uh, your index finger. Does everybody have at least one index finger? I have two, but is everybody pretty much uh, equipped here? Good. So I want you you to have that ready to scoot with me through uh, these uh, different passages. So our text, uh, Zechariah. Uh, chapter 1. Now, Zechariah is easy to find because if you can find Matthew in the Old Testament, just head toward the front two short books. So uh, Matthew, Malachi, and then Zechariah. Not Zephaniah, but Zechariah, okay? So that's the quick way to locate Zechariah, a prophet. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. There my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Now, if you can scoot to Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10, there's a similar statement here. It says, shout and be glad. O daughters of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and again choose Jerusalem. I'm hoping that uh, when we're done here, you'll have hope. Because you see the bigness of God being faithful and powerful, fulfilling his word, keeping his promise. So an outcome here is hope. And hope comes from seeing the character of God. God is powerful. He's faithful. What he says, he always does. You've got to set your hope on something. (laughs) I have uh, set my hope on many things. Some have happened and some have not. (laughs) It makes a difference what we set our hope on. So if you set your hope on God and what he says in his word, you have a foundation for your life. And your hope rests on surety. I have money uh, invested in the stock market (laughs) for retirement. And every letter I get from the company says, you may lose it. (laughs) Great, you know, what what good news, you know. (laughs) So why am I doing this? I'm not entirely sure. God says that he will do what he says 
every single time. So I hope that you see that today and that your hope rests on God, his character, and what he said in his word. In fact, the New Testament writers, looking back at the Old Testament, Romans chapter 15 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, what God says, we might have hope. So, uh, let's take a look at now at, at this uh, period of history in the life of the nation of Israel. Now, a very quick, easy way to kind of organize the biblical timeline is 2,000, 1,400, zero. That's kind of a little countdown thing here. 2,000, who knows what 2,000 is? Maybe we have some audience participation. What's going on in the Old Testament about 2,000? Abraham. Did I hear Abraham someplace? <laughs> the patriarchs. Then 1,000, what's kind of happening uh, in history in 1,000? David and Solomon. So that, that, that's, that's kind of the pinnacle of, of the nation. And then 400 is the close of the Old Testament. And what's, one, what's zero? Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to organize the history of the Bible, really 2,000, Abraham, 1,000, David, 400, End of the Old Testament, zero is Jesus. So that's kind of a, kind of a little, little guideline. Here, we're taking a look at 1,000, basically to 400. So the nation of Israel declining, ending up in captivity, and then being restored in the land of Israel. So I think you know the story how David, a godly man, though he certainly had his faults, led Israel to this pinnacle of worship, of power, military might, of wealth, uh, and, and under Solomon, of wisdom. You know, he was like the person that national leaders from other countries would come to see. But Solomon was also unfaithful, and he began to worship other gods, often the gods of the many wives that he married. And so there was a, a split in the kingdom, and there's a long series of good kings and bad kings. And during this period, God is sending prophets one of which um, is Jeremiah and Isaiah and many others, to warn and call people back to himself. Finally, after God's patience is exhausted and after people ignore one prophet after another, he finally pronounces judgment. In Jeremiah 22, he says, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. So here's a pretty grim judgment against his people. This whole country will become desolate, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon the land all the things I have spoken against it all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. 
I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So God, speaking judgment for sin, (laughs) the time has come for punishment. And the punishment comes in the form of 70 years of captivity. The nation is leveled. The temple is destroyed. The walls protecting the city is broken down. The people, many of them are killed. The Assyrians have earlier come and and deported many of the members of the northern kingdom. And now Judah is taken over by Babylon. And God says through Jeremiah, you will be gone for 70 years. Now, if you think about that, that ruins your nation. You know, that's about two and a half generations. So only a tiny remnant of people survives. And of them, only are of an age that could even remember the previous glory of the the nation. They're taken, and for 70 years, so many, many Jews are born in captivity in Babylon under subjugation of Nebuchadnezzar and many other Babylonians. Now, here's how Zechariah summarizes this piece of history. Uh, Let's go back to the book, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. Jeremiah, we just read. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? <laughs> They're gone. You know, They were deported and they've died. A new generation has come. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So interesting here that Zechariah, now he's writing now, by the way, after the return of the people from Babylon. So he's looking back, and he gives this little tight capsule of all this history. God was angry. He sent prophets. The message was, turn from your evil ways and practices. Their response, they wouldn't listen. They remained hard-hearted. They did not respond. And then God says, so where are they now? They're dead. They've been deported. And the prophets, even God's messengers, were outlasted by the message. My words and my decrees, they overtook, they lasted longer, they outlasted your forefathers. Then they repented, finally, after all this. And in repentance, they say, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. Now, it's interesting here that although there was judgment and terrible punishment, deportation, death, the the city was destroyed, God is still delivering the same message. He's still saying, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. So the message remains unsaved, uh, unchanged. God is still pleading with his people to accept his salvation. 
And by the way, don't be like your forefathers. Don't follow that example. He says to these people now listening, return to me and I will return to you. Now, um, in our point of history now, there's been idolatry, the prophets have spoken, the people have failed to respond, 70 years of, ten, of captivity. Now, this is very interesting, 70 years of Babylonian captivity, but then God promised through Jeremiah that it would change, that 70 years was it. And sure enough, at that point, the Persian Empire raises, rises in power and takes over the Babylonians. And now, it is a Persian king who is now in control. And God changes the heart of the Persian king to give an edict that the Jews in captivity would be permitted to return to the Holy Land and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. So what God promised happened exactly on schedule. Now, folks, this is a very, very encouraging thing. If God says it, it's going to happen. It's even going to follow a schedule. So if you're here today hearing what God will do in the future, count on it. It's going to happen. In a little bit here, we're going to get to God's promises about his future homeland to, for his people. And this is very encouraging. God has promised it. It's going to happen. So, um, because of the, of the new regime, the Persians, and the new King Cyrus, the, the decree, Jews are able to return to the Holy Land. Um, and the, this effort is uh, led by several prominent leaders, Zerubbabel, the governor, uh, Joshua, the high priest, and then two prophets, Haggai, and Zechariah. So this is kind of a, a leadership team that returns uh, about uh, 538. So we're talking about this uh, biblical timeline, 2000, 1400, zero. So you can kind of place this in, in biblical history here. Babylonia falls to the Persians in 539. The next year, 538, Cyrus, the Persian king, <clears throat> sends the Jews back to Jerusalem. And the temple is finally completed in 516. So it took about 22 years, and the books of Ezra and Nehemiah kind of give the details of how all that happened. Um, but again, what God promised happened exactly on time. So, uh, now, a statement about that is in Ezra chapter 6. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy his temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. Then, because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tetaniah, the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates carried it out with all diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the teaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Ido. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, 
and the Levites and the rest of the exiles celebrated and dedicated the house of God with joy. Uh, Not only did God change the first Persian ruler's heart, but a bunch of them. You see here that it mentions Cyrus, the first Persian emperor to uh, release the Jews, but also Darius and also Artaxerxes. So when God steps in, it's going to happen. Uh, in our government here, you know, who's, who the president is makes a whole lot to do with the direction of the country. You know? and so when there's a change of administration, there's often a change in policy. You know, we're very acquainted with that here, and that probably happened in other places. But if God's involved, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. It might be Darius, it might be Cyrus, it might be Artaxerxes, and actually there's a, there's a guy named Asherisus or something like that also mixed in here. There's a whole bunch of them, and God is in control of all of them. So I want you to have hope here. It doesn't matter who the Persian ruler happens to be or the president of the U.S. or anybody else. It's God who's on the throne. It's God who's in charge. And if has a purpose, he's going to do it. And it doesn't matter who's the boss because God's the boss. Be encouraged. Be hopeful because God is in charge. Now, uh, so that, that's a quick capsule, hopefully, of, of this period of, of history here. Now, what is it that God's going to do? Well, God returns to rebuild and restore. So let's take a look, first of all, at returning. Now, that's a, physically the people return to the Holy Land. Uh, it's also a personal call individually. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. This is Zechariah back to Zechariah chapter 1, verse 2. Therefore the Lord tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. That's a personal call. We need to personally return to him. And, and you know, there's, a, there's kind of a, a starting point where we return. We approach God and ask for salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. But it, it's actually... That's the start. That's the first return. But we need to continue to return to God because other things happen in our lives. We get off track and we have to return. We have new responsibilities and we have to fit those into following Christ. There's lots of little returnings that we need to do. So the message is the same. Return to me and the good news is that I will return to you. God meets us in repentance. Repentance is a great place to be. Returning to God. God puts his finger on an area of your life and he says, return to me here. God wants to meet you. And this is very important. It also occurs nationally. God deals with us individually, but also at the level of a church. We need to be united in returning to God, but also all of God's people And here, the nation of Israel was called to return. God is looking for a return to him on many, many levels, individually, as a church, as his people, as a nation. God calls us to return. The good news is he will meet us. I will return to you if you return to me. Now, the way he does that is he does it in mercy. And that is also very good news. Uh, Instead of justice or punishment or judgment, which was certainly on on the going on here in the captivity, God, when he calls us, he says he will do it in mercy. 
Now, if you think about the character of God, he, he's just, so he will hold people accountable for sin. He, in judgment, will impose the just penalty for sin. And he certainly did with the people of Israel who were deported. But he's also loving and merciful. And when he calls us in mercy to meet him, that's good news. And mercy is the stuff that impacts us. That's the good stuff for us. In mercy, God withholds his wrath. Now, there's a really interesting, uh, in the book of Zechariah, there's an interesting second level of things going on here because it mentions things happening in heaven besides the stuff that's happening on earth. It's, it's very, the first three chapters are very, very interesting here. So uh, chapter 1, verse 12, get your index finger going here. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. So there are angels in heaven who heard God give the decree that his people will be judged and deported, and they're sad about it. <laughs> this angel says, Lord, how long will you withhold mercy? The trouble that the Jews had, the judgment upon them, occurred when God withheld mercy. They received judgment. And the angel, almost like advocating for the people, the angel says to God, how long will you withhold mercy? Now, God responds to the angel and speak, spoke to the angel kind and comforting words. It doesn't say what the words were here. Now, we know from the perspective of history that God <clears throat> gave them mercy and they returned and they rebuilt their city and they rebuilt their temple. But isn't it interesting that the people in heaven, heavenly beings, angels, they're listening to what God's going and they're watching us and they're almost like they're rooting for us. I think that's a pretty cool thing. You know, that lots of people, created beings, are watching what God, hearing what God says and watching what's going on. And God interacts with them very personally. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I'm very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to their calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. That's the good news. I mean, what a relief. You know, we're in captivity, and God says, I will return to my people to Jerusalem with mercy. There my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Now, the mercy of God is, is so good. I want you to see this. And uh, the contrast from our nature and what we deserve to what we receive in mercy is really striking. Uh, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. As for you, here's, here's our natural state because of sin. As for you, you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its thoughts and desires. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of the great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See the contrast here? What we deserve, what, what we have rightfully coming to us because of sin, dead in our transgressions and sins. God, verse 4, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. See, it's the mercy of God that delivers to us salvation and forgiveness. This is really good news. God is merciful to us. He's still just. He will still uh, hold people accountable for sin, but he is merciful, and he will return in mercy to us. Now, how does God show mercy? Um, God returns to rebuild and restore. A tangible tangible look at God's mercy is seeing how God rebuilds us. And it was certainly true for these people. They returned. They succeeded in rebuilding Jerusalem, the wall, and the temple. In in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 17, God says, Proclaim this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and long it is. The angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. I will be its glory within. Now, this, this is somewhat of a prophetic passage. It's, it looks forward to maybe God's eternal state. He says he will comfort Zion. He will choose Jerusalem. How big is this new, new, new city? Well, the person with the measuring line the person who's going to determine the the dimensions, says, it's huge. It it can't be measured. How how wide and long? It says it's a city without walls. Uh, Ancient cities were defined, the the perimeters were the walls. That's how big it was. Well, this place is so big it has no walls. It's huge. When, When God rebuilds, he does it on a big scale. Does it still need protection? Certainly. I myself will be a wall of fire around it and I will be its glory within. That this is a picture of a wonderful future state where a huge city, a dwelling, is prepared for us. It's so huge it doesn't doesn't have a bound, but God will protect it, and his glory will be in it. Boy, that's a great promise. I want you to count on that. Your current address, Batavia or Elburn, is temporary. That's temporary. This is where you're going to be. You're going to be in the new Zion, the new Jerusalem, a place so big it doesn't have a wall. It'll be surrounded by God as a wall of fire, and God's glory will be in it. Maybe I don't need retirement. (laughs) This is where I'm going to be, you know. It's temporary. We need to raise our sights above where we are now 
and look into the future. God does this over and over again to encourage his people. He gives you a vision of what he's going to do in the future. Get a hold of that. If you're all absorbed with what's on the newspaper today or your stock report or just whatever it is, raise your eyes. Certainly we need to be responsible and deal with what comes our, with the needs of our families and getting to work. But raise your sights. Get a look at what God's going to do in the future. And you're going to move. The moving van is going to come. Uh, sorry, you just moved in. That's rough, I know. <laughs> you guys do. The moving van's coming. You're going to move to a new Zion, a Jerusalem, and you're going to be there forever. No more moving. <laughs> How about that? That's good news. God has a place and a plan for you. You're going to move. Now, what's going to happen there? Worship. It's going to be the place of the gathering of nations. It's going to be a very large place. The citizens are going to be from all over the world. All of God's people are going to be joined in this place. Now, I'm not going to get into the nation of Israel right now, but place is very important to God. Where he does his work, where his people live, where his people gather to worship is very important. And I think we need to pay attention to the nation today of Israel. Because he says it's God's holy land. If God says it's holy, it's important. And I I know you can kind of go off the deep end about Zionism, the nation today, and all that kind of stuff, and I, we won't go there today. But, but don't forget that place is important. And the future home of God's people, this Zion, this new Jerusalem, a, a place so big that can't be measured, is a place. Place for worship is important to God, and, and, and don't miss that. God returns to rebuild and restore. Now, how does God restore us? We've certainly alluded to that a little bit already, that he extends his call to repentance in mercy. Return to me, and I will return to you. Personal restoration. But he also does it in some additional ways. God returns to rebuild and restore. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18. Then I looked up, and there were before me four horns. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are horns, the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw these down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter his people. So here's mention of four enemies of God's people. They come and they scatter the nation. Then God raises up four craftsmen, uh, which are powers or entities that oppose and defeat the four enemies of God. So I want, what I want you to see here is God's justice. If, if nations come and oppress God's people, they will be held accountable. And just as they scattered God's people, they themselves will be scattered. So there is justice on earth, 100%. Exactly on time, exactly proportionate, done exactly right. 
So now it's pretty figurative here. We got horns versus craftsmen. <laughs> you can go home and chew on that. Um, and certainly there are more than four major enemies of the nation of Israel. You know, you can kind of go down through history. Uh, Egypt, certainly. Assyria, who took the northern kingdom into captivity. Babylonia, who nailed uh, Judah in the southern kingdom. Uh, the Persians were in a powerful enslaving force. Uh, I think the Greeks were next. Um, and then the Romans. So I can think of six, you know, major nations and empires that were very oppressive toward God's people. Uh, it says four here, so you can go home and pick four out of six here, maybe others. But the point here is that enemies of God, God calls them to account. They themselves are defeated for the benefit of his people. God also restores in spiritual battle. Take a look at um, Zechariah chapter 3. One of our big enemies is Satan, and he is the, 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 the accuser. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So here, here's a picture of what's going on in heaven. <clears throat> and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So Satan has been the accuser of the brethren for centuries, uh, millennium. And he's doing it here. He is accusing Zech uh, Joshua. Now, we, we saw earlier that Joshua was the, was the chief priest. He was the prime spiritual leader of the nation at this time. And in this picture, he's in heaven, and he's being accused by Satan. And God deals with Satan. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now, it seems pretty obscure here, but clearly Satan is accusing the leadership of the nation at this point. And God intervenes and rebukes Satan. So God is intervening spiritually in this spiritual battle against Satan on behalf of the leadership of the, of, of the nation of Israel at that time. Now continuing, uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin. I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring about my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone, and I will engrave on it an inscription, says the Lord God Almighty. I will remove the sin of this nation in one day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, a picture of heaven. Satan is accusing the Jews' top leader, he's found to be guilty. He, he, it says he has 
filthy clothes. Um, now, that, that's a figure. Uh, the problem was not that he was in poor fashion at the moment there. He, it's his sin. Because, and we know that because the response to it is, See, I have taken away your sin. So the, the filthy clothes of the top leader, Prada, that sounds like trouble, doesn't it? Needed to be dealt with. Even their biggest top leader needed forgiveness. But God provides it here. I have taken away your sin and I have clothed you with rich garments. Well, what a great picture of forgiveness. We come to him, everybody needs it, leaders or not, and we, in God's presence, we're shown to be filthy. That's not, good, not a good thing. And Satan is there accusing us. See, see he is filthy. And in a way, Satan was kind of right, right? But God rebuked him. But God solves it and he says, your sins are forgiven. But not just the promise given to Joshua, then he gives a promise for all of us that in the future, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. Oh, who's that about? That's Jesus. In, in one day, all the sins were canceled on one day. Boy, that's good news. So there's a lot here, and he's called the branch, so we know this is about Jesus. But it, it will happen. And it did happen. Again, what God promised did happen. I want you to see God's faithfulness. I want you to have hope in the character of a faithful God. This happened. God did remove the sins in a single day. Jesus died on the cross. And we have prosperity as a result. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his fig vine and under his fig tree and on the deck behind your house, declares the Lord Almighty. You know, prosperity, this is good news. This is restoration. God comes to rebuild. He returns to rebuild and restore. Now, for us to benefit, we need to, rest we need to return. It's not enough to just know about this. You have to personally return. When it happened to the Jews, they, get, they returned as a nation. Uh, in, I think it's in uh, Zechariah, uh, Ezra, 42,000 people returned. That was quite a bunch. And then there was a second return under Ezra, under Nehemiah. Ezra first and then Nehemiah. You know, we need to respond to God's call to return individually. Uh, maybe there are ways that we need to be united together as a church to return to God. But when we return, God will return to us. And that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff here. So, my first challenge is, have you returned to God? Have you heard God's call, return to me? And have you individually returned to him? Do you see it as God's mercy? Do you acknowledge both that God is sovereign and, and just and judges us, but do you also see God's mercy? It, it, you need to see the whole thing here. Third, do you receive, rely solely on God's promise to rebuild and restore? Right? Are you falsely placing your trust on anything else? You need to set that aside. Hope only in God's character, in his word, in the fact that he's faithful. Have we turned away from every false hope? And then lastly, do you consider your true dwelling your permanent address, to be Zion, Jerusalem. God refers to it in this passage as God's holy land. Place makes a difference to God. Do you consider your true dwelling 
to be with God in Zion and our time on earth here as a temporary assignment. 